0: All right, stay with me. I'll be right back after this.
1: The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the hefty renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at HeftyRenew.com.
2: It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash.
0: you're listening to 101 part-time jobs the podcast where i speak to bands and musicians and artists about the times in between making records in between touring and their personal survival whether that's from a practical point of view or an artistic one I give it to them i let them roll with it and tell us their story in their own words alexis taylor from hot chip joins us on this episode with an oral history of hot chips first few years working at domino and an excellent story of how he met dfa records in new york east london's signature brew have been making beers with bands since 2011 They have a new beer with Hot Chip. If you go to their website, signaturebrew.co.uk, you can make an order to be delivered directly to your door. And with the voucher code 101 podcast, all capital letters, you can get 10% off your order. Alexis's next solo album, Silence, is coming out on the 17th of September. This is Dying in Heaven Below This. You can pre-order the record from alexis-taylor.com. Thanks for listening. Here's Alexis. Go well. Or in choir, was that what I love to speak to people about and interview people about and um, really discuss is, is that kind of idea of uh, playing music full time, but also having that body and soul of working alongside of it. And, you know, whatever that entails, whatever that means to make, whether it's paying rent or whether it means keeping inspired and finding new experiences. To to fuel your art, I mean, you must feel like you've been playing music, playing music professionally, your your whole life almost.
3: Yes, I I do feel like that really because it's been most of my adult life. Um, Yeah, the amount of time spent doing anything professional before it wasn't that long. So, I I feel lucky in that respect. I did work, but you know, it didn't. I didn't have to do it for that many years before um before being signed to a record label that made a difference to whether i needed to work a day job um
0: i mean i suppose the landscape's changed so much now in terms of deals that are being signed yeah and i I wonder if that period of time when hot chip got signed that i mean was that like a life-changing moment
3: it was honestly yeah um before we got signed to emi we were signed to Moshi Moshi mm. and that was life-changing in its own way. Moshi Moshi is a s- fairly small independent label. Yeah. Um, uh, that, that before them, there was another label called victory garden records. And in its own way, that was kind of life-changing too. being signed to them. Um, there's small link, you know, small incremental mm. changes in, in, <laughs> in life. Yeah. Circumstance. So, um, I was at university um at Cambridge and I had been at school with Joe and Owen from the band before that and me and Joe made lots of recordings as Hot Chip before we went off to our different places of study and I went to Cambridge and um it, just before going there I guess or maybe it was like yeah I think it was just before going there we had recorded an EP um and I remember taking it in or sending it into a, a label called victory garden records I'd met somebody in the music and video exchange shop and yeah. yeah. um, they were playing some music in there that I liked I asked what it was and it turned out to be somebody who'd gone to school with me um so that was a strange coincidence but it was kind of um very left field very kind of weird experimental hardcore music by this band trencher yeah yeah, um, i've heard of
0: them through hey colossus i've heard of them
3: yeah um so i said oh you know i know that guy liam that's funny and and then we got talking about this other band fridge that were from my school um and fridge had kieran hebden in it who went on to do fortet um and so they said oh we'd love to hear your music so i sent in this demo that me and joe had made And they just said, we'd like to put that out. So they they didn't, they didn't, they didn't ask for a kind of another stage of, can you improve that or change that? Or these are good beginnings, but we want this. Um, so they released that and the point at which I kind of got that, the reason I mentioned Cambridge is because I could remember vividly getting the email while I was in maybe my first term at university Jesus College and I remember just the excitement of this email coming in saying we'd like to release your EP Amazing. Um, and then and then that got released on a CD didn't really change very much except it changed our confidence about things or at least mine I thought well if if that label likes this mm. and we'll release it mm. then we can make more music and people will release it um, and it was such a small label I wasn't unrealistic about what that meant. I just I just liked the fact that somebody thought it was good enough to put out. So by the time we finished at university, we'd made quite a bit more music. Um, and we then began making it a bit more, and we were just trying to get some gigs in London. Mm. And somebody recommended that we send a CD to... Stephen bass and we didn't know who he was but he he ran a a night at the buffalo bar in islington yeah yeah but by sending him the cd just to get a gig he he said oh i like this a lot do you want to make an album for moshi moshi which was his label so we were very fortunate that the person we sent it to just to get a gig happened to run a label and he he worked for a major label as well as running his own independent label, Moshi Moshi. So he was quite well connected. So mm, um, mm. so we were just lucky in that respect. And so when he said, would you like to make an album? We, we set about doing that. We'd already made maybe half an album's worth of material. We just, so by this point I was working at Domino record label. Um, okay. And, and that's in Wandsworth. And Joe from Hot Chips family house that he was still living in was in Fulham. So I would just kind of walk from Wandsworth after work to his house and we'd make the album every evening. Brilliant. Um, and he was working at another label, Ireland. Um, so we'd both kind of gone down the route of trying to get jobs in the music industry.
0: Do you remember how um, you got those jobs into the music industry? Because it, it seems a bit ambiguous. Yeah.
3: yeah um so sorry to be jumping all over the place. No, so no, ba- basically it. all I was going to say is th- those were the first two stages. And when we got signed to Moshi Moshi, we still continued to have our day jobs at Domino yeah. and Island, respectively. Yeah. Um, it didn't mean we, we could stop working. Um, yeah. I got my job at Domino because it was advertised on the Domino website. And at this point, I mean, it'd been a few years, but I would, I was a follower of Drag City record label and Domino. Mm. I would look at their website quite often and just see what albums were coming out by bands I liked. Um, And I was quite obsessed with lots of things on Drag City and Domino. They shared a lot of artists at that point. This is before Domino had found Franz Ferdinand and Arctic Monkeys that kind of changed the label to be a bigger label really so at this point when I was week, you know every week I would probably look at the website that was as much as I needed to look at the internet back then um I knew the records but then at some point I saw there was this job opening and it didn't really say exactly what it was it said it was like a in a kind of I think it mentioned bookkeeping which I didn't really know what that meant um and I'd studied English at university not maths um but it also alluded to doing some stuff to do with the website. Um, and my friend from school called Sam Jeffers, who was in the same band Fridge that I mentioned um, with Kieran Hebden Fortet, he, he had built the website for Domino. So I, I asked him, what do you think this job really entails? And he says, well, it says it's bookkeeping, but I think I think they want a more general person to do you know they want a bit of bookkeeping and they want a few other things so I would just apply for it if I were you so I did that and then got the job fairly quickly realized I couldn't do the bookkeeping at all but they let me <laughs> stay um, and I just did all the things that weren't the bookkeeping that they needed me to do so write, writing about the bands writing the press releases
0: that was in-house that stuff
3: that was all that was in house um not all of it was but some of it was so mm. it wasn't that i was the pr person i wasn't phoning people up and i wasn't the point of contact to explain how good something was to people or sell it to them but i would do the writing mm-hmm. um and i also mailed out the records that and cds that people bought um they had a thing called Domino Mart and I tried to help them make that a slightly bigger part of their business. Cause I had worked for like a week at warp Mart right. before that. And I'd seen that that was doing really big business for them. It was like a massive part of what they were doing. So I was like, well, if you've got a, if you've got a mail order department, mm. it's a bit mad if you're just treating it like a sort of secondary thing, you should try and take it seriously. So, um, I, I tried to help with that. um, and I guess I became, in a small way, I'd, you know, I'm not, I didn't sign any bands or anything, but I got given a little bit of A&R responsibility um, as well, just just by listening to demos and recommending things to to Lawrence. I, w- I would sit opposite him in in his own office within the office, like in the in his own room there, because that was the only spare seat and desk when I got the job. So. I was kind of directly opposite the, the man in charge and listening to all the new Franz Ferdinand demos as they were coming in and, and sort wow. of um, yeah. and just going to gigs every night with him and getting to know him and, and other people who worked there and some of whom still work there. So I had, I had a bit of an all round job. Um, Did you fit into
0: that culture quite well? I mean, I, I wonder if, if you were such a big fan of it before, I mean, were, were you a bit, I mean, I feel like I'd be really nervous to work at a record label that I loved.
3: I actually didn't feel too nervous except for when I had to do the bookkeeping. Um, uh, no, I, I really liked it. Um, I was I was definitely excited by having the job, but I wasn't too nervous because mm. it was fun. Um, mm. Most of what I had to do was... Let, Another major thing going on at that point was the 10th anniversary celebrations of Domino. So I was just having to help with processing ticket sales for the gigs and um, organising the merch for the gigs and mm, stuff yeah. like that. And and um, being in an environment where I was listening to records I liked and talking to people about records I liked and working on those records, as well as also hearing records that weren't on Domino, but were just what people wanted to listen to in the office, it was exciting to me to be surrounded by fans of interesting music. Um, And then I was going, it was expected of you that you'd go to every single gig that they had in the calendar. So day one, that was revealed to me. And then from day one onwards, I basically went out every night Um, you know, for the next two years, uh, pretty much. And sometimes there was more than one gig to go to. And it just, it was expected of you that you would do that. A few of the more senior members of staff would occasionally say, well, I'm not making it to that one, but I am going to Mm. these. But Mm. as a new person, it was expected of me that I should show enthusiasm and go to all the gigs. And I generally enjoyed that um so I remember thinking when I was doing that job that I was pretty lucky to have a job I enjoyed and I'd studied English at university but I wasn't I wasn't really feeling like I was trying to pursue further academic work Mm. as soon as I finished I I was already making music so I felt like whatever I did, I wanted it to do, be to do with music. But then at least at this job at Domino, I was, I was writing as well. So I was getting to use that interest in writing a bit. Um,
0: I mean, when it becomes your world like that, when, when you're doing that every day and going to all those shows and, and, and you there, for, you know, two years is, is, is a substantial amount of time, especially when you, when you think about everything that you're, that you're writing, I wonder if that being your world you know, you're, you're listening to all this new music. I mean, that must have been such a, a a wonderful thing as an artist to have on the side when
3: you get home from that. Yeah, um, it was. It was very inspiring. Um, and also opportunities came our way. Um, you know, Franz Ferdinand were this kind of hot new band at that point. And, you know, the different, they were, they were getting Daft Punk to remix a track and you know you'd you'd hear that and feel kind of excited about the fact that that was happening and then and then somebody would say well that's the CD over there with the stems on it for that track and I would be like well is it okay if I if I take this and Hot Chip does a remix and the the kind of people that worked with me were like just don't tell anyone you're doing it. But just do it, and then mate, we'll see what happens. But don't share it with anyone. So we did that, um, and that remix. I don't think it didn't get released, but we managed to play it to the band. And then, you know, couple, some years later, we worked with them and produced some tracks for them. And uh, it probably helped us to just show that we were keen, I suppose. And we were getting we were getting other work other remix work through Moshi Moshi at this point. So we were working our day jobs. I was working at Domino and Joe was at Mm. Island and Felix and Al were in warp at the warp mart. So all Um, of
0: you were working at these incredible record labels.
3: Yeah, but doing fairly menial tasks. Um, although in Joe's case, he, he had a more kind of, I think he was in the marketing department. So it was maybe a bit better, um, as a job, um, or in terms of profile, um, Rather than just packaging records and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, Yeah. So we were all doing that. And then that we weren't planning it so that we could just learn how, how the industry works. I was doing it partly because I was passionate about Bonnie Prince, Billy, Royal Trucks, Smog you know, all these kind of records mm. and I just wanted to work on them. And I, and I got to, and I got to write the press release for some of those things or talk to those people. And, um, it was interesting to me, but, but at the same time, you would suddenly realize, Oh, I am learning about how things go on behind the scenes or just being uh, kind of opportunistic as well. Like, Oh, you know, may, Is there any way we could support that band? And looking back on it, it's quite surprising that we got to support Smog when we weren't really ready, we weren't very rehearsed, we didn't make music that was particularly suited to opening for him, but we liked him. And so we did quite a bad gig supporting him, but we didn't get told... Never again. It just mm. sort of it just kinda of happened and probably most of the people at Domino um weren't there for the support act, maybe, or or just didn't it didn't it didn't affect us negatively. Yeah. Um yeah. And then from there onwards, you know, each of those things is an experience and you kind of learn, oh we've got to we've got to rehearse better or we've got to be more slick or we've got to do this or we've got to do that. And um, you just learn by doing it. But if you never get those opportunities maybe you just spend your whole life making music in a bedroom and nobody hears it. So I was very lucky that people accepted these requests for can we do this remix or support that band. And then gradually I moved to working there part-time because we were getting enough gigs for Hot Chip and it was taking up quite a bit of time. and, Mm. And Joe joined another band called Ardem, which was on Domino, um, he was a percussionist in that band. That's another person who went to school with us. Um, I mean, it's all all the people I've mentioned are the same three people in one band called Fridge. Yeah. That they, they, one of them was Kieran, one of them was Sam doing the website, and one was Ardem, who Brilliant. had a record out on Domino. Um, so Joe started to tour. He went on an American and Canadian tour with Ardem, and I think by that point he just had to say to his work, i have to do this and i guess maybe he had to he used up all his holiday time and then Hmm. at some point at some point we got well i'm sort of skipping ahead now but in the short version we signed to emi and that meant we got paid an advance that just was thinking back on it quite life-changing really it meant we could stop working
0: In that in that in between time when you were working, did you notice a, a kind of clearly? You know, you weren't you know shy to tell people you know you were doing hot chip and 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 you're an artist. But I mean, was was there a kind of support within Domino and within your jobs at those record labels to to do it to be an artist?
3: Yeah, there there was. Um, Lawrence was Lawrence was not especially aware. I don't think of what our band sounded like. He just knew I was in a band and wanted to do that. And he liked me. Um, we're still good friends now. Um uh I don't think he'd really listened to much of the music, but he was he was supportive from a distance. Mm. And then Bart, who still works there, was more directly involved. He he came to watch us play one of our first gigs around that time, and he he was very positive about it. And maybe he made a difference to us getting to support Smog. He was, you know, kind of keen or or at least supportive of what we were doing, and thought we were interesting. Um, and then over time, I think we became a bit more no, not notable, but like we'd released stuff on Moshi Moshi. People would come into the office. Press people would come into the office to talk to Domino about bands they were working with, but they would also be talking to me because they were going to do our press. So it started to kind of it started to be more obvious that the band I was in was doing something. You know, we got got like a nice NME um, single of the week in the first first thing that we put out on Moshi Moshi, which was totally unexpected um things went well for us basically yeah um and i don't really know how to figure out why that why that happened um i was
0: about sort of 16 at that time so i wasn't quite getting into the buffalo bar i was going to the astoria and mean fiddler and as i got as i got older i sort of discovered the bands i just missed at the buffalo bar um you know, national and Art brew and speaking about Art brew, you know, so many of these kind of London centric bands and and British bands, and it does feel like it wasn't top of the pops. But you know, NME <laughs> would you know if you had a feature on NME, that was a a, a door opening. It, I yeah, mean, it, it seems that way.
3: It it really was. Um, so we were never a kind of. It's funny our relationship with NME. We we were never featured on the cover, but we were given really nice reviews of that first single and the first album um maybe the second album as well and then we were it made you know it's funny thinking about it now because the paper doesn't exist anymore Mm. but back then like over and over was listed by them maybe as maybe as this this track of the year or something um and it didn't do very well commercially so it seemed it seemed quite maybe it wasn't the f- number one, I can't remember, but it was somewhere in there. Um, and it, it seemed like they were they were um, supporting quite a lot of more straightforwardly jangly indie bands or Britpop, post-Britpop bands. Um, and yet they gave us space too, and we weren't quite like that. So I always felt thankful to them for, you know, we, we, we didn't have the, commercial success of some of these other bands but they seem to rate us and that made a difference um it made a big difference back then to get that support from from a magazine
0: or paper was that around the time that reading and leeds would would start having more electronic
3: yeah i think play? so yeah um because we played at reading just before i think we were on just before animal collective on one of the stages which seems like a kind of good lineup when i think back yeah. on it yeah um, totally um I, did, I definitely remember that when we first started playing we were completely different from all other bands we were opening for because we had five people in a row four key four keyboards and one drum machine everything on a keyboard stand no drummer um just a different kind of setup whatever it sounded like it looked and sound it looked different from the beginning um but mm. not that long into doing it things started to change and there were other people with maybe it's like 2 years into t- doing it or something you you would play it south by southwest and yeah. you would see bands that would have like an SPDS drum machine at the side as well as drums and i think LCD sound system were quite um, influential in terms of if they had that set up then other people did it too mm. but it was maybe coincidence because I don't know if every band was listening to them by that point but <laughs> um, so it started to feel like we were part of something not really a scene but I don't know we would be on the same for instance at, at South by Southwest we were on the same bill as Rat Attack, who were on XL, MIA on XL, LCD and us. And that was a kind of grouping of bands that didn't all sound identical, but there was some crossover between them. And then by that point, that was becoming more the prototype for what other bands might do in terms of how they set up rather than everybody being.
1: particular valued resources may vary by geography more info available at heftyrenew.com.
0: did that give you almost like a sense of um, i don't want to say validity because that's not what i'm trying to say but did it give it a, a sense of like oh you know this is what we do now we we we're, we're, we're on the cusp of something that's actually you know really quite special and and actually we should we should really focus on this big time and and make it make it happen for ourselves
3: well for whatever reason we had been very focused on it right from the beginning you know even if we were playing some somebody's birthday party from school or playing at a pub in Fulham I seemed to believe that this was worth doing and worth doing seriously Mm. and focusing on and we must make plans for more gigs and we must make more recordings and Joe I think Joe felt similarly about the recordings being worthwhile maybe he wasn't so sure about us as a band as a live band um so that determination was there from quite early on and and that's probably how we kind of got going during that Mm. working at record labels time Mm. um so by the time we were at south by southwest we were really making a you know, making the most of it, we we were trying pretty hard to, I guess, to um, to get signed, but we we thought we were going to get signed to DFA. Um, that that's another part of this sort of story, really. So, after being on Moshi Moshi for about a year, we were approached by DFA, and my understanding is that. Either James Murphy or Jonathan Galkin, who who ran the label, um, had ordered our single "Down With Prince" from from Moshi and Moshi Moshi sort of told us this. They were like, "Oh, we're sending it out to to James Murphy at DFA in America. That's quite exciting." Yeah, and yeah. um, they probably shouldn't have told us that because then we were like, "Oh, well, it's good if they like it. You know, that seems like a more exciting proposition somehow. This cool." New York label. We didn't really know that they that Moshi Moshi was basically as big as DFA, but DFA seemed to be a step up for us. Right. Just because it was exotic, I suppose. Yeah. Um so I was I was going out with somebody who I'd met at university and she was an architect and she moved to New York to study at the Cooper Union. Um, which is a really good place to do architecture, and she 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 was you know really good at it and got in. So I would go over to New York to visit her, and while I was there, there was a um, there was a talk by Brian Eno at her university, and after Brian Eno's talk, there was a Q and A between James Murphy, Trevor Jackson. Hank Shockley from Public Enemy and Carl Craig. And i I went I went to that um and as I was queuing up to go in somebody asked me where did I get my hot chip badge from? And I said, Well, it's mine because I'm in Hot Chip. And that and that that person was the guy who who runs DFA, Jonathan Galkin. So so um I knew that they had bought the single, but I had no connection to them beyond that. And just cause I was queuing up outside this thing, I got talking to him. Um, and then, you know, within a matter of hours, it was like, well, you should come and meet James Murphy and like come to the office. And so he was kind of courting our band and I was the only member of the band who was over in the States. So I went and met, went to the office, met James Murphy, looked around, um, saw the studio, was just completely excited by any of this happening. Hmm. And then came back to the UK and just sort of, you know, it just felt like the next stage after the first one was these people in a record shop said, you know, years ago, we run Victory Garden Records, send us your CD. The next thing was Moshi Moshi. And then this was DFA. The next thing was kind of happening. It was fairly, it felt fairly easy. And I I didn't, I, I suppose it's just something about being quite personable and sociable and Hmm. And not too pushy, but also saying, "Well, yeah, can I follow up on that? Can I give you my CD?" Or it's like gradient. Yeah, but then it didn't. It didn't really happen with DFA. So they they said they wanted to sign us, but just nothing ever happened. So we would stay in touch with them because I was in New York again. I met them again, and then at some point we arranged to do a recording session with them, and we. St- we some of the band stayed at tim goldsworthy's house and some of us you know i stayed at my girlfriend's place in new york and mm. it all worked out that we did this recording but they still weren't making the offer to sign us that they said they were gonna do and it, it dragged on for quite a long time and i remember just sitting at home waiting by the phone by the landline for this phone call that i that was scheduled to happen you know like we will speak to you at two o'clock UK time and we'll discuss the deal. And then I would sit there and they just wouldn't call. And I was like, Oh, well they said they were going to call. So they must call. And yeah. you know, you yeah. you call them and nobody else. Eventually I'd get through and it just went on like that for ages for like months or two years or something of, I don't know if it was already two years, but it felt like it. it felt like we were chasing them, but we weren't sure why they were spending the time recording with us, but not, just coming through with an offer. and What it was, was they just didn't really have any money. So um, we, were, we were sort of looking for this next step up, like how do we leave our day jobs? Mm. And DFA weren't really willing to say, we can't offer you the money to do that, but we still want you. So eventually they signed a deal with EMI where everything on DFA, because of LC- LCD sound systems kind of, Um, hype and interest Mm. everything got signed to EMI so at that point they said well we can't sign you directly but do you want to sign to both DFA and EMI Um, and we were like oh I don't know because we with we weren't really thinking of being on a major label and because I'd worked at Domino I guess I was still at Domino at that point I thought I thought it seemed kind of weird to me I I saw the major labels as the enemy Yeah, yeah um so that and then it all just kind of got very complicated Domino Domino said to me like we don't want to step on DFA's toes but eventually I said to them well they're not really actually making an offer so don't we don't seem to be signing to them so then Domino put in an offer it's quite a good offer And then Stephen Bass who ran Moshi Moshi was like, well, I'm not going to lose them. I'll sign them to Ireland. And then Ireland came in with a much bigger offer. And then I was like, Oh, I don't want to sign to a major label. All of my bandmates were like, well, this sounds quite good. Why would we turn that down? And then EMI kind of swooped in (laughs) and said, you know, (laughs) after seeing us at South by Southwest, they would, they would like to sign us." So we, we kind of thought, well, if we go with EMI, we still get to work with DFA as well because they they have taken DFA on as part of their label. So then that's what happened, and and that that was the point at which it was a a big advance and meant we could all at once just stop working our day jobs and fantastic. Um, I think what happened after that was a U.S. tour supporting Fortet. And we couldn't have done that without tour support from EMI. So that was a big thing that they helped us with. Like they paid for us to do an American tour. By doing the American tour supporting Fortet, we then got the next tour, which was our own tour. And by that point, we didn't, seemingly, we didn't need the tour support. We were getting decent enough offers to just about make it work. So, all of these things helped. And I think if we'd signed to Domino or to DFA directly, we wouldn't have had tour support. We might've done a bit of touring and it might've not got anywhere. We don't know, but Mm, mm, we mm. were, you know, I was quite conflicted about the major label thing and yet it, it helped us massively. Um, good to hear
0: a good story for that.
3: Yeah. I mean, they were nice people and they worked really hard and I think they were excited to have a band that was a bit different and, Mm. um, maybe also it was a bit easier to work the hot chip music than it was some of the DFA stuff, um, that they'd signed. So it's a bit more pop. Um, and then there was this label in America that was part of EMI called Astral Works. Um, we, we were sort of still believing that DFA were going to do everything in America, but they basically didn't. So Astral Works did it all for America and they, they were, they were really into our band. Um, they were great and very, very supportive of us, and and so that helped us do well in America. I think by the fact that we had a good label in the states. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I seem to be just doing a life life story, but
0: that is brilliant. What a, what an excellent few chapters there. That's a brilliant story from queuing up to 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 that event in New York and, and having yeah. that happening with the FA.
3: I mean. Do you believe in serendipity? Yeah. <laughs> the funniest thing about that was the badge was on my shoe. It wasn't even like on my <laughs> jacket or something. I had purple wow. Nike Van- purple Nike Vandal's on, and I had the <laughs> the purple Hot Chip badge on the on the tongue of the shoe. That is so um, funny. But, that is so funny. But also, I mean, not this isn't related to getting signed to them or being found by DFA or something, but. Um, just going to that talk was really worthwhile as well, just to hear hmm. Brian Eno give a, a sort of seminar and then to hear hear about the making of the Public Enemy records by the producer was just really exciting. And, and I remember both Trevor Jackson and James Murphy, when, the, when it was their turn to ask him a question, they both just kind of, laughed at the fact that they didn't have any question except how, how 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 they were like really sort of they were stumbling for their words and they're just like how 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 did you do it whereas everybody else was a bit more like you know um po-faced and so on but they they just kind of that you could tell they were in awe of him as a producer and and i i was as well um so there was a really yeah just it was exciting and fortuitous that I could, I had this kind of separate reason to be going to New York to vi- visit my girlfriend. And all of the daytimes were spent while she was studying. I was just going round record shops and buying music and kind of absorbing the kind of culture of other music and Kim's, Kim's record store and, um, downtown music gallery which stocked all this free jazz music that i was listening to and so it was very good time to be there um and that question how is is always the interesting question yeah yeah um because that those group of people were interested in the process of mm. making records and the production mm. and that's what interested and still interests me rather than the kind of life story i mean obviously some people have got amazing life stories but i remember a few years ago there was this good book by matt thorne about prince and i got sent a preview copy and i wrote this really glowing review of it and they used my they used my kind of blurb on the back and then then the book came out and all the reviews were terrible they were like oh it doesn't tell you anything about his personal life Mm. it's really boring it just goes through what he recorded and I was like, "That's the first book I've enjoyed about Prince because I right, wanted right. to know about all the recordings." Like, and yeah. since then, there's been about five different books that go even more deeply into the recordings. And suddenly, they're all like popular, and, and you know now there's podcasts about about the process of making "Sign of the Times." You know, people are getting deeper and deeper into that. But it seemed at that point, I guess maybe it was just slightly square journalists or something just saw it as they just wanted more gossip or something. But I, I just thought the process is what's interesting to me. Um,
0: I just learned how they, after a show, they'd go to the, to the recording studio after the show.
3: Yeah. I mean, after the show, he would have an, an after show gig in a yeah. nightclub. <laughs> yeah. Almost every night, wherever he was in the world. And then maybe to the studio as well. Um, that was the thing. When I was growing up as a Prince fan, I would hear about, oh, you know, there's there's an after, after show. You've got to be like a member of the Prince fan club to know about where it is or how to get in. And I just thought that happened occasionally in London after the big Wembley show. I didn't realize he was pretty much looking for an after show club everywhere in the world on tour. So he would do like a two hour show and then do another two hour show taking you till like four in the morning. And like you say, then maybe go back and record. So
0: well done to his tour manager.
3: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) He just sort of demanded it of people, I suppose. It seems like everybody that worked with him couldn't have a life outside of the recording or the touring. They just couldn't. So some of them did it for a while and then gave up or others didn't last very long at all.
0: Yeah. Full-time job and a part-time job all in one. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> well, Alexis, I mean, thank you so much for for letting me in on all of that. That's amazing. I love all those stories, and and thank you for for flying with it.
3: Oh, that's that's fine. Um, I did do a different job before. I never told you about. It's not even interesting, but I had another job in a, in a CD and DVD and VHS shop called MVC. Um, all right, for quite a long time. Where before was that? This uh, in Chiswick. And then that was like after school finished after, after I finished sixth form, but in my year off before going to university. So I did that for most of a year. And then when I finished at university, I did it for a little bit longer until I got the job at Domino. And I did meet my bandmate, Rob, who's in the live band of Hot Chip in, in that place. So that was another big part of, that was another job that was just enjoyable because it was music. Mainly music fans, yeah. Um, Learning but
0: something I'd, new every day,
3: yeah. But I mean, it, you know, it had its boring sides too. But um, but it was quite. That was like, yeah. I, w- I just didn't want to act like the only job I'd done was in Domino. Um, but I put my time in in retail.
0: Unfortunately, with these
3: stories of retail,
0: there's not loads to talk about, is there?
3: <laughs> no. I mean, I I served a lot of people from the music industry when I worked in that shop in in Chiswick um members of primal scream um richard ashcroft would go in quite often
0: what would you what would be your sort of would you go in for the
3: chat well some of them were just like so elton john had this guy who would buy cds for every house he lived in and he would come in every monday with a printed out list of all the new releases that he was interested in, and he needed five copies on CD of all of them. So when that guy came in, you had to sort of serve him for like an hour or so. Um, and then when Martin Duffy from Primal Scream would come in, he would buy, be buying interesting music and you'd get chatting to him about it. And then you'd end up maybe bumping into him after work in the pub, inches it, and talking to him a bit more. And um, so things like that would happen, but brilliant, brilliant. Well, we'll have to do a,
0: a second episode at some point because, of course, the other sort of part-time job of of being a full-time artist is the admin, I suppose, and you know, interviews like this, and yeah, yeah, um, which I find equally as fascinating because that stuff is is such a part of the job, right?
3: Yeah, I mean it. It it was something we didn't have a manager for a long time at the beginning, so. It was it was split between me and Joe really, um, doing the admin and yeah, and we did some funny tours where we didn't have a tour manager, we didn't have a manager, we didn't have anyone, so we didn't have a sound engineer, we were just travelling around Germany supporting faithless in big arenas <laughs> and we we were just travelling by train and carrying keyboards on our backs in backpacks. Um and wrapped, they were wrapped in towels, and we were wonderful vision. We were still used to just using beer crates at the Buffalo Bar to put your keyboards on, but suddenly we needed to like play in front of five thousand people supporting Faithless, and we needed keyboard <laughs> stands. And I don't know, I don't really know how we how we managed to do it, and and still keep like be allowed to play more gigs after that but maybe we got better (laughs) as we went on we just sat down for all of our gigs at the beginning as well (laughs) really (laughs) really it was just easier to sit down with a keyboard on your lap
0: (laughs) amazing amazing brilliant well alexis yeah thank you so much and you know good luck for the for the record it's so exciting
3: all right thanks a lot good to speak to you
0: yeah you too so there was Alexis Taylor. His new album, Silence, is out on the 17th of September. You can pre-order that today. Cheers for listening to 101 Part-Time Jobs. Here is some Barrow.
3: I've been working all day for me on the side Running around like a blue-arse fly I've been working